Chapter 4 Getting Snowed. How you doing? Hey, how was the routine? Good. <laughs> Good. You find a, a place yet? Well, there's a couple of places over there. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Uh, Erculate still hasn't found a new home for his family. He looks tired and worn. He tells me it's hard falling asleep. Every hour that passes is one less hour until the Bel Air Cove Motel closes. You know, it's really freaking difficult to get a house in here. So you need at least 10000 to move out. And um, the job uh, for me has been kind of low. You know, Still, Eric tries to find time for his family to relax. I've seen him with fishing rods tied to the roof of his car, beach toys stacked in the back of his minivan. One of his jobs is managing Airbnb rentals, and one of the owners lets him use it. And then sometimes they say, well, Eric, this, this week nobody's going to be in the house if you just want to go there and enjoy the house with your family. All right, so I take my kids, but we go there and then we go inside the house. We can cook outside in the grill, and then the kids are in the in the in the pool. You know, they are having a really good time. And then, and we were feeling like we we reached finally the the top. You know, like we are in this big house, enjoying all of this. The music is is full out, and uh, the music that we want to hear. The kids are just jumping and, and playing in the pool. What kind of you music? Know, uh, Remember a song? Oh yeah, yeah. I actually yes, I remember the song. We were listening Yanni, uh, Waltz in Seven Eights because that's the favorite of my kids. So uh, yeah, we were listening to that song over and over and over. So I remember that was the song. And then um, my wife was was kind of feeling proud. She was proud of you know having the kids over there, the kids enjoying. Her mom came from the country and. You know, she was feeling really good, that, that like, good vibes, you know. Like, like. This house rents for $1,000 a night. The Bel Air rents for $700 a month. You know. <clears throat> but do you remember, like, packing up from the barbecue mm-hmm. um, and going back to the Bel Air where, you know, like, people just, uh, they want you to leave? Well, yeah, <laughs> of course, there's a story for that thing. The kids were they were just enjoying that much that they didn't want to go back home. And then I say, Why you don't want to go back home? Uh, because they and then they say, Well, because that, that place has nothing. There's nothing, just the chickens over there, that's it. And I say, Well, all right, that's fine. They want to stay someplace fancy. One of the boys asks if they can stay in a real hotel someday. Eric's wife cracks a joke. They are living in a real hotel. And then we were laughing, you know, for, for many, many minutes over there. But that's pretty much the feeling that they have, you know, from being in this nice house, not a mansion, but this big, you know, nice house, enjoying and going and play their own whatever music they want to play, jumping, coming and eating. They felt for a second like that is the place for them. And then when you get back home, you have to be quiet. You have to, you know to be aware that somebody's going to come and knock the door anytime. My wife was People knocking on the door. Eric is referring to the town of Southampton, harassing him for yet another code violation. Whenever I asked Eric about the campaign to close the Bel Air, he always said that racism 
Mike Dunn and concerned citizens of Hampton Bays and the school that they were just part of it. But all along, Eric really blamed the town of Southampton. And then it came like this kind of politics. Some people just see uh, five cars in a parking lot. So they're going to say, oh, there's Spanish people. So they're going to ha- start having these visits from the town. What do you, how does that make you feel? Really bad because the situation in there is difficult. You know, that's, that's pretty much the, the plan from the town is working really great. You know, like trying to chase the people. You know, if you came here to Hampton Bays like uh, 10 years ago, Honestly, I always kind of doubted Eric on this. But now, here we are, standing outside housing court in Southampton, New York. Eric is in his church clothes. I'm nodding my head. Because Eric was right all along. It is the town that's kicking him out. This is the story of the Bel Air Cove Motel. But it's also a story about immigration in one of the richest parts of the world. The people who live at the Bel Air came from Central and South America in search of opportunity. But for years, their neighbors waged a secret campaign to kick them out. And now, it's finally happening. I'm Charles Lane. Welcome back to another chapter of Everytown. Across the Shinnecock Canal from Housing Court is the village of Southampton. Tourists and art galleries and convertibles and teen shopping without parents in sight. Lots of white, too. White storefronts, white sandals, white dogs, white tablecloths, white bicycles. And white offices where I scheduled an interview with two lawyers and an environmental engineer who say that they can help explain how the town came to kick out Eric. You're looking too hooked up. Yeah, really. Are you a bot? (laughs) (laughs) These three friends are playful enough to mock the recording equipment of a complete stranger. They appear to have fun wherever they go. There's Doreen, the engineer. My name is Doreen Bartoldis. Mary is one of the lawyers. My name is Mary Pazan, P-A-Z-A-N. And Elizabeth. Uh, My name is Elizabeth Helk. I'm an attorney, and I live in Hampton Bays. Together, they're like the CTV squad, CTV being the Southampton town version of C-SPAN. You know, when you go to a a town public hearing, you're allowed three minutes to speak, unless you're an organization, which you then get five minutes. They've sat through hours and hours of public meetings, sometimes just for fun. So I've now formed my own organization, the me organization, so I could get five minutes. At these meetings, the Bel Air was like a constant buzz that never seemed to go away. I've heard about violations about um, this would, you know, this place would have been shut down if it was in any other town. They've never been inside any of the units at the Bel Air. 
From the outside, it's really hard to say. It's not boarded up. It doesn't look like the roof's falling off or anything like that. They're going off the simple narrative that the town tells everyone. The place is a dump, and the owner is a slumlord. Did you ever think, like, uh, like the, oh, the town should do something about this? Well, yes, I, I think the town should have done something. But nothing ever changed. Until one day, they walk into a public meeting at the Hampton Bays Community Center. On the agenda is something new. A plan to purchase the Bel Air Cove Motel. So that was kind of a shock. Like, oh, Okay, you're going to purchase the Bell Arrow. This is a whole new thing that we had never, that nobody had ever mentioned before. Why would the town want to buy a problem property like the Bel Air? Supervisor Schneiderman did say, and I think that was the September meeting, where he said, now we have a plan. Southampton Town Supervisor Jay Schneiderman. I actually know Jay quite well. He's been in politics a long time. He's easygoing. He usually wears a navy blazer and khakis, like he just walked out of a J. Crew catalog. I can picture Jay making this presentation, strolling casually up to Elizabeth, one hand in his khakis and another holding out his pitch to buy the Bel Air. And he had a picture of a uh, standard boutique motel, I don't know, that he got out of clip art or something and passed it around to say, isn't this something nice? And so we, we all said, well, okay, Big surprise, you're going to buy the property, forget about with what money and from where and why and, you know, but but what's this picture of a motel? That's not anything real. It's just, why are you passing this around? Jay says that the plan is simple. The Bel Air is difficult to develop, so the town will buy it, turn it into a shovel-ready project for any developer to come along. And you know, I think we were all somewhat stunned when we heard that because... I really don't have a lot of compassion and sympathy for developers. I don't think they're an endangered species. I don't think they had so many questions. Why is the town helping developers? Why not turn it into a park? How is this going to affect water quality? That's actually their biggest concern. What is the environmental impact of building another motel? And and as Mary said, she she raised the issue, since there's a lot of debate about what to do with the property, why not just buy it and then decide what's the rush? And he said no. You know, so he was, you know, really kind of trying to snow us on it is how I felt. And you mean like snowing and like they just throw a bunch of things that cloud your vision? Yes. I didn't feel like we were being given the truth or the whole picture I I think we were being given a done deal, and, and they were trying to sell it to us as a good idea. According to the CTV squad, the whole truth has to do with the evictions. A judge told the town that they can't kick the people out of the Bel Air. Well, the court won't let us evict people. But if we buy the property, the owner can evict people because it's not a government agency. The town getting the owner to evict everyone. This is what Eric says the town was trying to do all along, to chase the people out. So is the purchase just cover, just snow, for something else? I schedule an interview to ask Jay myself. The 
The interview is set for Friday, but driving out to Southampton Town Hall that morning, I get a call from one of the town's lawyers. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, now this was, uh, I'm speaking with, who am I speaking with, Kathleen? She wants to postpone the interview, and she wants a list of questions I'm going to ask. I'm sorry? Have we met before? I can't remember. No, I don't believe so. The Jay that I've known for years, I swear that one of his favorite things to do is to stroll right up to a reporter with his tongue in his cheek and some juicy gossip. The fact that he wants a lawyer in the room hints at what kind of interview this is going to be. A defensive one. It, it gives me concern that the town, that Jay is trying to walk out of this. No, in fact, this is, this is me... Um, A few days later, I drive back out to meet Jay at Southampton Town Hall. Inside, it's stone floors and high ceilings. Before it was Town Hall, it was a schoolhouse. The hallway cuts down the center with offices on either side, like classrooms. How are you? Jay's office is on the second floor. Jackie, his secretary, we chit chat about Airbnbs. It's kind of dicey. It's like it's, uh, you get, I mean. Is this a segue question? Jay strolls out to join us, hands in his khakis, J. Crew blazer, tongue in cheek. No gossip, though. He sits in the waiting room with us and props a leg over the armrest of one of the chairs. We're waiting for the town lawyer to show up. Jay looks relaxed, but something seems off. Also, Jackie had been bugging me all morning for that list of questions. Um, do you want to do, like, innocuous questions before Jim gets here? I promise nothing. Like, no, it's okay. Jim's coming over. It's going to be interesting. Okay. Well, what's going on? Anything it's going to be interesting, he says. Moments later, Jim Burke walks into the office. He's the town lawyer. Hey. hey. How are you? Good. Good to see you. How are you doing? Good. Uh, Okay, I guess. We head into the office, and Jay finally tells me why he needs a lawyer in the room. It's because of Elizabeth, Mary, and Doreen, the CTV squad. Since then, um, three citizens filed a lawsuit against... They actually filed a lawsuit accusing the town of rushing the purchase of the Bel Air. You know, we didn't rush it through. Uh, We held uh, multiple um, community meetings on that plan. And, uh, and then the board adopted it, I think, on a four-to-one vote. So uh, it seemed like it, the, only, the reason why I bring it up is like, it seems like... It Ultimately, was, yeah. this is an issue for the courts. The purchase of the Bel Air did dominate town board meetings for months. Jay repeatedly pushed to bring it up for a vote. He said it was an opportunity for Hampton Bays. You know, people were looking for um, the economy of that area to, uh, to move in a better direction, to see property values um, start to go up. And they have been going up. So I, I think a lot but of positive- what Jay is not mentioning here is the secret push to close the Bel Air. Mike Dunn's group, Concerned Citizens of Hampton Bays and the school district. For years, they mounted a pressure campaign against the town to close the Bel Air. They argued that the Bel Air didn't pay enough in taxes to educate the children who live there. So I did see that you, you had a, a, at least one meeting with Lars. I'm not quite sure if you... Lars Clemenson, the school superintendent. 
He told me that the $10 million lawsuit against the town was to pressure them to pay more money. It's unfair, Lars said, for the people in Hampton Bays to subsidize workers for the rich. Do you remember, do you remember feeling political pressure? Well, I remember they listed a bunch of properties in their notice of claim, I believe, and we did look into a bunch of those. Jay goes on for minutes, not answering my question. At one point, he starts talking about how Hampton Bays has great surf casting. You know, go surf casting off the jetties. You know, you can go out there and catch a striped bass. I can see what Elizabeth meant about getting snowed by Jay. I wasn't in the room, but the CTV squad says that Jay wanted to buy the motel and then the owner could evict Carmen, Eric, and all the rest. Jay denies saying this. Let's see if we can create a model for getting, you know, some of these properties to revitalize, to get, you know, investments into them. Um, What Jay's trying to get me to understand is his grand economic development vision. He's suggesting turning Hampton Bays from a working class bedroom community into another tourist hotspot, that it has nothing to do with the school's legal campaign. So, you know, in terms of the notice of claim, the notice of claim... Uh, was not a primary motivation toward uh, doing what the town did at the Bel Air. But I'm wondering if he's not doing this to appease CCHB and their campaign to close the Bel Air. When I ask, he pivots. He brings up the substandard living conditions at the Bel Air. My code enforcement people telling me it was a fire trap, that it was dangerous, that it was unfit for human habitation. Now, you seem to think it's okay to leave people living in an area that's unfit for human habitation. Jay's statement is untrue. It is fit for human habitation. Jay's own code enforcement officer, Ricardo Larios, he says all of the safety issues were being taken care of. Smoke alarms were installed. Fire hazards were removed. So the in I think you've said this a couple of times that like um, they're in a better place than they are now, right? Who said that? Well, I said that the, the, the Bel Air Cove was a very substandard living condition. So, right. So if a person, if somebody's living in a place that has a kitchen, they're probably living in a better location than or better living conditions than they were at the Bel Air Cove. Well, the reason why I ask the question is because I would be careful to apply my standards to somebody else. The so I mean, well, where do you draw the, what, I mean, is having a toilet a positive thing or a not a positive thing? Yeah, but if I'm well, worried about you're applying your standards now, so everyone at the Bel Air has toilets, but Jay moves on before I could correct him. So, but we have a, a sl- you're not really imposing your standard. I think it's fairly, you know. Objective that a kitchen in a long-term apartment is, uh, you know, an essential. A kitchen with a with a stove. A kitchen with a microwave. A kitchen a, with a hot plate. A safe, yeah, a safe kitchen, uh, place that, you know, has a GFI, you know, outlet. A place that has, you know, a, a properly wired stove. Yes, rather than something that could be a fire hazard. Most of the Bellar residents had microwaves, which cost about $50 at Home Depot. Stoves, like Jay described, start at about $400. So, but, but, so there is a, a range of standards. The people who, who live there, they felt it was adequate for what they wanted. In fact, they fought. Are you aware that they... Yeah, well, I mean, there, there are people living in 
you know, in trailers and driveways that don't necessarily, you know, aren't permitted under the code, but they may love it. They might think it's, it's wonderful. Um, but it, it may not uh, conform to the town's standards. You have a single-family home, you're not supposed to have a... The town's standards, then. Jay's standards. Jay says he never spoke with the tenants. They weren't at those public hearings to see his clip art motel. But he says his plan to tear down the Bel Air will help them in the long run. He says the economic opportunity of revitalizing a blighted property, it will trickle down. I don't, I don't want you to cast me as insensitive to these issues. You know, I don't want people living in unsafe conditions. And also helping spur an economy helps lift people out of poverty by providing economic stimulus, by creating jobs, work for people, and it'll help them be able to afford some of the rents that are in the community. You know, Again, safety concerns are being addressed. And the residents of the Bel Air, they do have jobs. In fact, Carmen's job is cleaning up after tourists. So Jay's Motel would have to pay more for Carmen to afford the rents in Hampton Bays. Towards the end of our interview, Jim, the town lawyer, he brings up a new point. He says Eric, Carmen, and all the rest, they'd eventually have to be kicked out anyways by the owner. I met with him on a number of occasions. I met with the owner on a number of occasions, both myself, other people in my office. He had no interest in running the property any further. He was moving to Arizona. He made that very clear. So he was looking to sell the property. The second part is true. The owner of the Bel Air was looking to sell the motel. But the story isn't as tidy as Jay and Jim want everyone to believe. Hi, this is Rima Dael, WSHU station manager. I know I'm interrupting your listening of every town right now, but I just wanted to interrupt for just a short couple seconds to say thank you so very much for listening. And if you like stories like this, help us keep them on the air with the news that you rely on and the music that moves you. Please make a gift right now at WSHU.org. And thanks. I went to the town's building department and checked the file on the Bel Air. The owner did have plans for the property. And they are remarkably similar to the ones Jay proposed more than a decade later. I came across a letter from a law firm to the town's chief building inspector. It's dated from 2006. It asks for a preliminary opinion on converting the Bel Air into condos. Fancy condos. The letter makes a mini pitch for the project. There'll be small cottages, two or three around a wreck area. It'll be on the waterfront with picnic benches. They even had a name in mind, Gull Cottages. Add in some surf casting and striped bass, and I can picture Jay making this exact same pitch. So why didn't it happen? Dad? 
Someone's here to see you. <laughs> Penny and her husband Jag are the, quote, slumlord owners of the Bel Air. I wanted to talk with them to figure out how they went from trying to redevelop the Bel Air to dropping the idea to then selling to the town. Thank you so much. Jag sits with me at the kitchen table. He's in tan slacks and an old flannel shirt. He likes buying mystery books by the pound from the public library. There's a Make America Great hat on top of the refrigerator. In the beginning, we had good business. You know, Hampton Bays was very busy, and the kids used to come out here and things like that. But Jag's family bought the Bel Air in 1989. Back then, Hampton Bays was a party town. Kids from New York City would come out and go clubbing and crash at the Bel Air. But then the town passed laws to close down the nightclubs. They were tired of people throwing up in the streets. The cops were giving out tickets to the kids, you know, for drunk driving and bad behavior, etc. So they stopped coming. So Jag looked into revitalizing the Bel Air, turning it into something like the boutique motel that Jay wants to build. Believe it or not, we went to three, four different attorneys. They took our money. This is the letter that I found in the building department. A few days later, they called him in and said, sorry, this is going to cost at least a couple of hundred thousand. We cannot do it. I didn't have a couple of hundred thousand, so there it went. No more city kids coming to party. Converting to fancy cottages was too expensive, so Jack picked the last option remaining. He started renting rooms out on a monthly basis just to pay the mortgage. Most of the people who were there were like single guys, you know, one guy or, you know. What were they like? Like, who were they? Uh, a lot of people who were working in the area and, you know, they had little jobs or mostly construction workers, people who were working with their hand. As the years went on, the people who worked these little jobs, more and more of them were immigrants, people from Central and South America who work for the rich. And that's when problems started because CCHB started complaining and this and that and... Jag actually went to a CCHB meeting once where Mike Dunn was up front speaking at a podium. So I raised my hand and I explained. I said, look, because all the kids are gone, we have to, you know, rent it out to some monthly people just to make enough money to pay our mortgage, etc. And I have to make a living. And what was, after you said this, what was the room like? Nobody said anything. Nobody answered me back or anything. None of these guys. Mike never invited Jag back, and Jag kept renting rooms out on the cheap. This is how he became a slumlord. We became like a uh, vagabond or cheap motel. <laughs> you know, people like my plumber, he said, oh, Jag, you have to know you're a slumlord, you know, things like that. How did you it didn't bother that? me. Huh? It didn't bother you? Nah, because, you know, I've been poor. I've been very poor. I used when I came from India, you know, I didn't have any money, didn't have job for a while, so I was like walking to see my girlfriend, then when I got the job, I had to walk to work about 2-3 miles, and then every morning I'll take a couple of pieces of bread and boil some eggs and you know, that's what I used to eat, you know, things like that. So I was very very poor. So I understand the pain of poor people. So I felt sorry for them. 
So if Jag was so understanding of his tenants, why is he selling the property and evicting everyone? His empathy is actually part of the problem. He didn't charge enough rent. There was also CCHB's pressure campaign. And then Eric. So that was, Eric was my third big mistake. That was a bigger mistake than everybody else. Jag says he didn't do a good job maintaining the property. Even worse, he heard rumors that Eric was pocketing rent money. Eric denies these rumors, but regardless, this was Jag's logic of the situation. I said, I said to myself, I said, look, he has four kids. What am I going to do? Get stuck with his wife and four kids? If he goes to jail, they have to eat, right? If he goes to jail. I don't know. They could have gone on welfare, etc., I guess. But that's how I thought, being a, what I am. <laughs> Eric told me on multiple occasions that he looked on Jag as an adopted father, a sentiment that Jag didn't return. Because he's an asshole. What can I say? He was bad, bad blood. He, he, was, he was lazier than I thought he would be. I figure he will do some work, take care of the place, keep it clean, collect the money. I guess maybe his wife kept having babies, you know. She had she had two kids. So from No, no, I'm not saying I'm not blaming. Jag's view of Latino immigrants, the tenants that he can't bring himself to raise rent on, his view is also laced with bitterness and misinformed. You know, the Spanish people. Okay. Okay, a lot of people... Hey, remember, none of these people pay any taxes. Very few, maybe 2% pay. They don't have insurance. They don't have this. They don't have that. In the meantime, they get social help, right? A lot of them are welfare. The kids are taken care of, everything else, okay? Jag's rant here is distorted, but what I find interesting is that he can hold these two ideas, sympathy for poor immigrants and resentment, he can hold them in the same hand. Jag is an immigrant. He was born in Calcutta, India. He came to the U.S. in 1962. So... This is why the people at the Bel Air are losing their home. It starts with one person, Mike Dunn, organizing a movement. He uses the school's power to launch a secret legal campaign. They try to use the courts to close the Bel Air. That doesn't work. But what does work is money. The town buys the property from Jag for a million dollars, and he evicts everyone for them. Penny has been listening from across the kitchen. She asks a good question. Where are the tenants of the Bel Air going to live? Oh, they're working on it. Oh, yeah, they have approved some houses. In order to get the purchase of the Bel Air approved, Jay said that the town's housing department would help the tenants find a new place to live. They should have housing for these people. Why don't they? I don't know. They work the supermarkets, they work the gas stations, they work the whatever they work. All the businesses use them, okay? They, 
probably don't make a lot of money. That's why probably they didn't have money to pay their rent. I don't know what the deal was. But they need to have housing for these people. The town of Southampton promised to help the tenants at the Bel Air. Promised. The underlying reason why people don't want affordable housing is because they think it's subsidized. They think they'll be black or Hispanic or poor, and they don't want that. One day, um, Diana Weir, she called me, and she asked me, why do you want to do it now for a place? And I say, I do it the best I can. I go and ask him, but everybody say, no kids. That's on the next chapter of Every Town. This story was written and produced by Max Wasserman and edited by Ann Lopez. James Bowen, fact-checked. It's reported by myself, Charles Lane. If you enjoyed Everytown, please consider sharing it with your friends. The more that we grow, the more stories we can tell. Joining our mailing list is also helpful. You can sign up at our webpage, everytownpodcast.org. Thank you.